This is Inside Politics, Election 2022. I'm Steve Harrison. The January 6th committee hearings have shown that there was a group of advisors who tried to convince then-President Trump to accept that he lost his 2020 election. But in the words of former Attorney General Bill Barr, he was detached from reality on the outcome of his election loss. We also learned that Trump raised $250 million on his false claims of a stolen election. But most of that money went to other groups supporting him. And members of the far-right Proud Boys and Oath Keepers believe that Trump wanted them to go to the Capitol. Does any of this matter in North Carolina politics, particularly in the race for U.S. Senate, since Congressman Ted Budd objected to certifying the election results? We'll talk to Western Carolina political science professor Chris Cooper about that. And we'll also talk about Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson. He's not on the ballot, but he looks as if he's already running for governor in 2024. He's made a series of statements that have generated controversy, most recently at a church in Charlotte. We're called to be the Christians that God has called us to be. And we are called, you're getting ready to get in trouble, called to be led by men. We'll discuss the criticism he's received and Robinson's response to it with Ray Notstein of the conservative Carolina Journal. He contends Robinson has become the most popular Republican in the state. First joining me is Jim Morrill, former Charlotte Observer reporter. Hey, Jim. Hey, Steve. How are you? And also Tim Funk, also former reporter with the Charlotte Observer. Hey, Tim. As are you, Steve. That's right. (laughs) Today, we're going to start with Chris Cooper, a Western Carolina political science professor. We're going to talk about Mark Robinson and some other things. What's on y'all's mind? Well, there's these uh, congressional hearings up in Washington right now that people are talking about. Uh, I wonder how that will affect, if at all, the uh, North Carolina race, especially the Senate race where Ted Budd is was endorsed by Trump and uh, Sherry Beasley is trying to uh, beat a Trump endorsed candidate. Yeah, you have the January 6 hearings and then you have a prospective gun deal in Washington where one of our senators, Tom Tillis, was uh, playing an integral part in that. And then you have a Supreme Court hearing expected to come down in any day now about about abortion, but uh, you also have prices at the gas pump that are just killing a lot of people um, and prices at the grocery store. So you have a lot of things uh, kind of cross currents in the election this year. You know, I mentioned earlier, but we're going to talk about the Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson. He, for a long time, was a kind of bona fide Republican star that the party loved him. But there are now some rumblings within the party you're hearing about the GOP having second thoughts about him running for governor in 2024. Um, Robinson is kind of seemingly always in the news for different controversies. And I think that's starting to take its toll a little bit inside the party. Joining us now to discuss the January 6th hearings in North Carolina's U.S. Senate race is Chris Cooper. He's a political science professor at Western Carolina and making his encore appearance on Insight Politics. Hey, Chris. Hey, good good to see you. So we're going to start. Uh, Tim is going to kind of lead off this session talking about the hearings, and then I'll kind of pick up the baton. Um, so, Tim, what's on your mind? So, Chris, as you watch the uh, hearings up in Washington uh, about 2020, what, what stands out to you, especially in the backdrop of the North Carolina uh, election year? I mean, I think the first thing that stands out to me is – how much resistance there was against Trump's idea, right? I mean, it really does seem not that he surrounded himself with people who agreed with him all the time, that when it came to January 6th, he had a whole lot of people whispering in his ear saying, you've gone too far. This is too much. 
we need to back this off. And so that surprised me. Look, to hear folks like Jared Kushner and even Ivanka Trump to some degree say that they were more on the Bill Barr side of things than they were on the Donald Trump side of things. In terms of North Carolina, look, we got North Carolinians all throughout this in a lot of ways. Mark Martin's name has been mentioned. Um, Ted Budd, at least briefly mentioned. Of course, Mark Meadows is at the center of this. Sidney Powell lives in Asheville for, you know, a good while. Um, So there are North Carolinians kind of all over this conversation. And so I am very curious to see what we learn by the time this is all said and done. And then what kinds of connections that people you know, begin to reveal between various North Carolina politicians. So Bud voted against certifying the electoral votes in the presidential race. He has said that Joe Biden is the president, but he had, that he has constitutional concerns about the 2020 election. Could this become an issue in the Senate race or will it have to be Cherry Beasley uh, deciding to make it an issue. So, so far, she's been pretty quiet about everything, uh, abortion, guns, all the other issues that uh, are supposed to help Democrats. That's right. She's been very quiet. Um, I think she's on you know a bit of a get to know me tour. We'll see how long that continues. I do expect she will make this a key part of her campaign. The effects of January 6th, opinions on January 6th have certainly changed over time, but by and large, Look, Americans think that January 6th was a, a stain on our country, and there's certainly a sizable minority that would disagree with that statement, but they're a sizable minority, not majority. And so, yes, I would expect that Sherry Beasley will try to make something of that, whether she's able to or not, what kinds of connections are going to be made, I just don't know. But I would be very surprised if that doesn't come up. Chris, do you think the National Democrats or There's a lot of different interest groups like Emily's List and others that are uh, promoting women candidates. Do you think they would come in if Beasley sort of drops the ball or doesn't make this an issue? Do you think it'll become an issue from them or uh, not? Sure. Yeah. We've seen outside money dominating all sorts of elections in our state and in other states. And, you know, I'd be shocked if we didn't see the same kind of thing here. So, yes, I would expect to see those groups coming in. Um, I'm really curious to see the kinds of investments the Democratic Party makes in this race. So WRAL just had a poll that came out that uh, had Beasley within the margin of error and at least maybe even slightly up over Ted Budd, despite previous polls that have showed Budd with a sizable lead. Um, I think this could be a winnable race for the Democratic Party, but everything has to go their way. And one of those things is going to have to be big investment from the Democratic Party into Sherry Beasley. We'll see if they're willing to do that in a race that would involve flipping parties or if they just double down to try to hold on to the seats that they have. Yeah. And were you surprised at the WRAL poll? It, it it was sort of a flip of the earlier Civitas poll, which had Bud slightly ahead in both. It's a close race. Uh, it seems like people don't really know either candidate yet very well. And so they're responding maybe to the R and the D. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, What I take from both polls put together, and those are both, you know, done by different kinds of groups, but I think both conducted very well. They're both within the margin of error. I think what that tells us is this race right now is too close to call, and there is a sizable, meaning double-digit proportion of the likely voters in this state who just don't know yet. And uh, this campaign is ultimately going to be about turnout, of course, which everybody says. It's cliche for a reason. 
but it's also going to be about those undecided voters. And there's a sizable portion of those still out there. So, Chris, do you see these hearings affecting actually affecting North Carolina races? uh, Or do you think people just have their minds on uh, gas prices and grocery prices? Look, most of their mind is on gas prices, grocery prices and Joe Biden's approval, let's be honest. But I think they can matter depending on what comes out. Right. I mean, we're hearing some discussion that that perhaps Ted Budd was in communication with Donald Trump about um, at least some of these, you know, fake voter fraud allegations um, or unproven anyway, voter fraud allegations. You know, I expect that to come up. I expect Sherry Beasley certainly to try to use the hearings to her advantage in the general election. So in a race this tight, could they matter? Yeah, of course they could. Could a Trump endorsement suddenly become an albatross instead of a plus? Do you think it would be go that far? I don't think it'll go that far. Um, I don't think it'll be an albatross. But if this is going to be a tight race, you got to figure the headwind is is sort of pushing against Sherry Beasley, right? This is going to be a better year, by and large, to be a Republican candidate than a Democratic candidate. But what the hearings could do is to maybe blunt the force of that, right? Maybe to put in a little bit of a, a shield in between you or the candidate and uh, and kind of what's coming at the Democratic Party this time. So it can matter. It can matter at the margins. But in a state like North Carolina, the margins are what matters. Hmm. You mentioned that uh, Bud had, had had some communications, I think, with Mark Meadows. Uh, he sent a November 7th text right after the election to Meadows, suggesting he look into a, a conspiracy theory that's popular with some on the right, that George Soros, a liberal a billionaire had some connection to these Dominion voting machines and facts checkers say there is no connection. Is there an opportunity there for uh, Cherry Beasley to make this an issue? She hasn't so far. She hasn't so far. She's so far, I think, been trying to introduce herself to the state. I do expect that to come up at some point. Uh, I also don't expect Mark Meadows to come out of these hearings looking particularly good. So I don't think most folks are going to want to be connected to Mark Meadows when this ends. So, yeah, certainly I would expect the Democrats to tie North Carolina political officials tightly to Mark Meadows. And it won't be hard, right? He was a member of Congress from North Carolina until very recently. What should Bud's posture be? He he has come out and said that, yes, Joe Biden is the president, but he still has some issues. I think he mentioned constitutional issues with the 2020 election. Is he... Uh, could he end up looking like he's part of the what they call the uh, team of crazy or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah, that was coming out right out of the hearings. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't think that's likely. Right. What Ted Budd is going to try to do, um, I think, is going to be a lot like what happened to our north in the Virginia gubernatorial race. Right. Where the, the winning candidate tried to position himself close to Donald Trump, but not too close to Donald Trump, getting Donald Trump's endorsement, but not making that the crux of his campaign. And so I would expect to see that shift from Ted Budd. No, he's not going to run away from Donald Trump. Be foolish to do so. But um, I think he's going to have to make the case that he is more than just the candidate of Donald Trump. So if you're uh, we'd like to play this game where uh, I deputize you as a political consultant, what's your advice to uh, Ted Budd and Sherry Beasley on this issue, assuming the North Carolina press doesn't make all this an issue locally? What would you tell yeah. them there should they should proceed on this issue, these hearings? 
Sure. So yeah, you, you deputize me on the bud side of things. <laughs> I think what I'm saying is, uh, you know, dance with Donald Trump, but don't make it a slow dance, right? Be close <laughs> to him, be on the stage, but uh, don't make your entire campaign about Donald Trump. And, and I think that's what we're going to see from Ted Budd, obviously a more nuanced version of that. Um, but I think we're going to see something like that. For Sherry Beasley, I think she's a little bit late getting out of the gate, introducing herself to the state of North Carolina. So if you deputize me as a head of the Sherry Beasley campaign, I'd say, hey, what were we doing when we didn't have a a competitive Democratic primary? But once I got over that, I think I would say, yes, once you've introduced yourself to the state, then do bring up January 6th, do bring up Mark Meadows, and do bring up any connection that there may be between Ted Budd and any of these, you know, unproven conspiracy theories. And Chris, um, this is Steve, spinning off of what you just said, uh, kind of the big news in the Senate race last week was that the Budd campaign um, had to pull down and then revise an ad that several North Carolina TV stations said wasn't factually correct. Um, And the, the Beasley campaign made a big deal of this. But at the same time, the ad went back up on the air very quickly with a small change. The ad was about Sherry Beasley's record as a judge. It is still playing. And that seems to be the only thing that's being debated in this campaign right now. And that seems to favor Ted Budd. Yeah, I think that absolutely favors Ted Budd. In that skirmish, Ted Budd won, right? He got the message out. He continues to get the message out. Um, were the details slightly off? You know, I think probably so, but the general story they will argue and are arguing is correct. So in some ways, this reminds me of the classic Willie Horton ad, right? Were the details completely correct on Willie Horton? Absolutely not. Does anybody remember that? Also, absolutely not. Yeah, and the uh, I spoke with uh, the National Republican Senatorial Committee, and they just said, I mean, they felt that the ad was close enough, but but they they took it down and revised it. And they said, look, more of these are coming. This is going to be, I think, their entire strategy going into the fall. There will be, I think, a never ending series of ads pouring over 20 years of rulings. How does the Beasley campaign kind of get away from this? Yeah, it's going to be tough, right? I think there's a lot of reasons that we don't see a lot of um, state Supreme Court justices run for federal office. And one is all these decisions are out there, right? There is a record that is easy to find on a lot of cases that are very, very nuanced. And no one, myself included, um, understands the nuance of every one of these cases that Sherry Beasley has decided. And so you're sort of setting yourself up in a very difficult position if you're trying to run from the bench for the United States Congress. It's happened. It's not unprecedented or anything, but there's a reason that we don't tend to see that path more often. A big, a big thing in the news are the mass shootings in Buffalo and then Texas. It looks like there is a bipartisan framework of some kind of gun legislation coming out supported by Tom Tillis and Richard Burr. Um, I asked the Bud campaign if he would support that. They said, quote, we have no comment at this time. Um, but then we aren't hearing anything about guns in this race. Now, North Carolina is kind of a slightly red state or a purple state. But is this a missed opportunity? You know, for Ted Bud, maybe. Um But I think it's just too early to know. Look, we don't know a lot about either one of these candidates. We know that they won their primary elections. We know that neither one engaged in a single debate during the primary. And we know that the odds that they uh, are going to have a general election debate or, you know, I don't know, the odds of 
Western Carolina going to the NCAA championship. It, it seems pretty unlikely, right? So I think we're searching for information in general about these candidates. And I think both candidates have learned that it, thus far, it's been to their advantage to not go into the policy weeds. When you go in the policy weeds, you know, you can you can get something on you. And so I think they're going to try to both stay out of it. And Chris, in our next segment, we're going to talk about Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson. While I've got you on, I want to ask about that just for briefly. Um, it seemed like for a long time, the lieutenant governor, at least among the Republican Party, could do no wrong. He was a rising star. But in the last few months, there are kind of rumblings that, among some Republicans, they aren't sure whether he can now win a governor's race in 2024. Are you hearing that as well? I am hearing some of the same things, right? So if we think about Mark Robinson and Madison Cawthorn, right, we think maybe those are, are good comparison points. It seemed like Cawthorn got a lot more of the ire from the Republican Party than Robinson. Why was that? And I really think that's because Cawthorn punched back at the Republican Party. Whereas Mark Robinson, although he said things they might have been embarrassed by, he didn't tend to rip on members of his own party. Um, And I think that's given him a much longer leash than the Republican Party gave to Cawthorn. The question is, is Robinson going to say so many things that are so offensive to so many people um, and that are antithetical to the growth of the Republican Party that they will eventually give up on him? I don't know. My sense is the average rank and file voter is less likely to give up on him than the Republican elites. The Republican elites are frankly paying a lot more attention. They're thinking about the long-term viability of a party. And my guess is they don't want a, a candidate who makes so many comments that can alienate growing segments of this population. So yeah, you hear these rumors that perhaps they might get behind Dale Falwell instead. There's even this one rumor, I don't know that I buy it, Tom that Tillis, Tom Tillis yeah. might come back from the United States Senate and run for governor. That would be a, you know, a heck of a story. But the fact that these are at least being floated, that these are rumors out there, I think says that Mark Robinson's star, which seemed to be rising by the day, um, at the very least is plateaued. Yeah, and there was a, another kind of story this past week that, uh, which I think came from Republican circles, that there's an idea now that Mark Robinson might want to run for Congress instead, because of course we'll have new maps, most likely, and maybe sure. a good chance we'll have new maps uh, for 2024, and that uh, there would be a safe seat for him. Uh, easier for him to win a very Republican seat than a statewide race. I just thought that was interesting, starting to hear these rumblings of moving him aside gently out of the yes. statewide position. I think that would be very interesting. It's going to take, a, you know, that would take a lot of movement. Obviously, Mark Robinson's from Greensboro to carve out Greensboro and make that into a safe Republican district would take um So let's just say some creative map drawing, but we've seen creative map drawing in North Carolina by Democrats and Republicans in the past. But again, the fact that this is a conversation that people are happening, I think, says that, you know, people are starting to question Mark Robinson a little more. He's still popular. I think he is still the odds on favorite to be the Republican nominee for governor. But um, two years is a long time in American politics. All right, Chris, thank you so much for joining us to talk for a few minutes. We appreciate it. Yeah, had a blast. Thanks. Now we're going to talk more about our Lieutenant Governor, Republican Mark Robinson, who's been in the news for a series of controversial comments. Last year, he spoke to a church in Seagrove, North Carolina, quote, there's no reason anybody anywhere in America should be telling any child about transgenderism, homosexuality, 
or any of that filth. And yes, I called it filth. And if you don't like it, that I called it filth, come see me and I'll explain it to you. And recently at a Charlotte church, he generated controversy by saying Christians are, quote, called to be led by men. Robinson responded to the criticism with this video. Someone to insinuate that I don't believe that women can be leaders in their homes and in their communities and in their churches and in their state and their nation is absolutely 100% ridiculous. I've seen it in my own life. I see it as I serve in the Senate of North Carolina. I see it in this nation and I see it in our history. Our guest now is Ray Notstein. He's the opinion editor of the Carolina Journal, a publication of the John Locke Foundation. He recently wrote a piece headlined, quote, Mark Robinson is a locomotive barreling through obstacles. Ray, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate it. Uh, you said in your story that, uh, quote, Robinson just picks up steam despite any highly controversial statements or past actions. And you said almost paradoxically, Robinson's the most popular Republican in the state. So you obviously think that. Do you think that goes beyond the Republican base? I think that's the, that's the ultimate question that he has to kind of understand for himself. It's certainly an issue that I think he faces the more he kind of says controversial things and the media picks up on those things. They're obviously going to be a lightning rod. And I think that there's a, you know, part of the reason of his popularity is he does say controversial things. And so I think a lot of people see him as this culture warrior who is willing to take on sort of broader cultural themes. Uh, you know, the, the first quote that was mentioned uh, about um, human sexuality, he was speaking about in schools. So there is a context to that. People can agree or not agree, but he's giving a context. And, you know, I think voters will have to decide, well, does that mean if I'm gay, will he discriminate against me if I'm governor? So they have to kind of come up with these contexts and decide for themselves. It's the same issue when he spoke about uh, men in leadership. He was speaking about uh, men in the church. I mean, he's, he's speaking about Christian leadership and a lot of denominations and sects around the world believe that certain offices are held for men. Uh, certainly the pastorate and many um, churches uh, are held for men. So I think that's the ultimate question that I think Robinson has to decide is, is he going to be able to appeal uh, across um, the entire state of North Carolina? Would you expect him to tone things down if he gets closer to a statewide race? I would expect not, because I think this is kind of who inherently he is, right? I mean, he he is somebody who is not afraid to speak his mind. He certainly is very conservative on a lot of cultural issues. He certainly comes from a conservative worldview. Uh, you know, some people could argue he hasn't always practiced that at times because of the reporting about his own payment of an abortion between him and his wife before that they before they were married. So some people might say he's hypocritical on those issues, but there's no doubt that I think Robinson is con continuing to say things that are considered controversial in the broader culture because it ignites his base and I think it gives him a national platform. And, uh, you know, I think there's something that about him maybe that seeks that national platform and that validity for his ideas. When he talks about words like filth, that could sound pretty hateful to a lot of people. How do you think that will play? I mean, is that a step too far for him? As I mentioned in my column, I think on several occasions, it's political suicide for uh, any candidate to say that people are canceled, people are fired from corporations for having, um, you know, just especially speaking that way, it's one thing maybe if a Christian says something about the sin of uh, human sexuality, 
but to kind of use the words filth today in society, I think it's very polarizing. I think it, it probably turns off a lot of uh, voters. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, but, you know, I think paradoxically, too, there are some people that do hunger for truth. But I think you do have to be winsome in, in how you speak truth and how you say things in society. So ultimately, I think this is something that Robinson has to decide. It's clear that he likes to go into churches and speak and uh, show off uh, some of his rigorous speech or emphatic words. But I don't know if that's going to play well with a lot of suburban voters. I suspect it wouldn't because uh, politicians have been canceled for a lot less. But it will be fascinating to see if he can kind of overcome that with just this sort of sheer momentum and popularity and booming voice and uh, the way he kind of ignites a base. Do words like that kind of appeal to people that are bigoted, frankly? I think it can. It certainly can uh, appeal to people that are bigoted. There's no doubt about that. I mean, there, there can be words like that that would, they, that they would embrace that. Do, do you think that could, stuff like that could cause Republicans, mainstream Republicans, to sort of get a little sour on him before 2024 and maybe look for another candidate to run and, and maybe, you know, let him run in a congressional race or something lower profile? Well, I think there's already some uh, Republicans that are trying to go that route. I mean, I see on social media certain uh, Republicans, certain maybe staffers at the General Assembly who say that that disqualifies him from office. Uh, They think that that's not going to play well. So I think there's an obvious factor that certain Republicans can do that. I mean, I don't know if that would keep him from winning necessarily. I think sometimes it depends on the political environment and sort of the momentum of his campaign. I don't know if it's automatically disqualifying for him. I don't think it's politically wise, but I'm not sure it's 100% automatically disqualifying him from winning. What did you think think about what he said at the Freedom Church, Freedom House Church in Charlotte about the role of women and and men? Well, certainly I think the context was um, reported a little bit unfairly in the sense to me when I go back and look about it, he's challenging men to step up in the culture and just be a little bit more involved. We have a, a problem of maybe too many single parent homes. I think that's a valid concern. I think it's a valid concern when you look at poverty in this country, when you look at depression, when you look at um, other sort of socioeconomic and social factors. So I think he's telling men to kind of step up in the church, step up in the home and be leaders. But there are a lot of Christian churches, uh, including the ones that Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden are members of and attend, that also hold uh, certain offices for men. And so I think they kind of jump on that and try to make Robinson sound like he's against women holding leaderships in the broader culture is kind of unfair. Uh, but, you know, uh, people are going to try to, you know, use that as a political bludgeon themselves, I think. You know, one thing he's talked about recently is guns. He spoke about guns just a few hours after the Buffalo shooting a couple of weeks ago, and he defended gun rights again a few days after the Evaldi shootings. How likely uh, do you think that is to play with suburban voters and, and independent voters this year or whenever he runs? Question. You know, obviously, there are some issues that is polling real well for people who are advocates of gun control. In certain polls, red flag laws do really well expanded uh, background checks, which would include private sales, tends to poll real well. 
So again, I mean, I, I don't think he's going to compromise on the second amendment because that's where he got his start, Jim. I mean, that's where he kind of ignited his political, uh, you know, it was, a, I think it was a Greensboro city council meeting where he exploded on the political scene and he became this hero to second amendment advocates. And that's why he was able to win that crowded primary for the Lieutenant governor nomination here in North Carolina. So that's one issue I did not see him compromising. I don't necessarily think it will hurt him politically though, because this sometimes is a issue that ebbs and flows with news cycles. And uh, it's kind of a, a pessimistic way to look at things, so to speak. But the second amendment issue does sometimes ebb and flow where it's on the radar of voters with what's going on in the news cycle and how much maybe the media is focusing on the issue. Do you think uh, his stance on on the Second Amendment and on guns, and he, he's talked, uh, uh, frankly, about semi-automatic weapons and having them, uh, do you think all that puts him on sort of a collision course with Senator Tillis and Republicans like Senator Tillis? Tillis, as you know, just uh, helped negotiate a compromise on gun gun safety laws. I'm not sure it does because it looks to be – a very watered down piece of legislation, just, you know, my intuition, I can't speak for him, but I think that he would probably just not say anything uh, positive about the bill because there's going to be a component of his base. That's not going to like the bill. There's been some talk recently about him running for Congress in 2024 instead of for governor. Where do you think that talk is coming from? Well, I'm sh- I'm sure there's some people that uh, want to jockey for the position of governor that want Robinson out of the way because I think he's the clear front runner um, on the Republican side. You know, I think some people there's probably a lot of establishment Republicans in the state. There's probably some people in Raleigh and Washington that would like to have him out of the way because they don't see him as a viable candidate. And they, they, you know, they may have some validity to that because it's hard for someone with saying some of the things he does to get elected statewide. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Here, here is the issue that I think Robinson will have trouble on, right? I mean, we know this from HB2. Uh, when McCrory ran, there was a lot of corporations that said that maybe we're not going to come in to North Carolina because of the bathroom bill that was unpopular with a lot of voters. I mean, we saw Trump do a much better in the state than Pat McCrory did, who embraced the bill. So... I think there's a legitimate concern that he, you know, you could have so many outside voices against speaking in North Carolina corporations saying, we're not going to do business in North Carolina or even threaten to pull out of the state. And I think that would be a concern to a lot of voters. And I think it's something that Mark Robinson is going to have to contend with. There's no doubt about it. Ray, thank you very much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thank you and goodbye. I really appreciate the invite. Ray Notstein is opinion editor of the Conservative Carolina Journal, a publication of the John Locke Foundation. So that was Ray Notstein of the Carolina Journal, who has written extensively about Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson. Jim, what'd you think? I think he uh, sees the glass half full. I would see the Mark Robinson glass as as, uh, probably half empty in terms of a statewide race where you have to appeal to independent voters suburban women and people like that. I think a lot of the comments he makes um, are, are just a, a little too far for people. You know, when you call uh, homosexuality filth and things like that. And, uh, you know, it may turn out that he's on the wrong side of the gun uh, gun debate this year, too. Yeah, I think, um, you know, we talked about this at the beginning of the, at the, beginning of the show with Chris Cooper about some of these uh, rumors or scenarios about Robinson running for Congress, et cetera. And Ray said, well, that may be his opponents trying to clear the field. 
But I think it's also Republicans who were really concerned about they have a very winnable governor's race in 2024, but maybe not so much with the lieutenant governor now running. You know, I think a lot of Southern Baptist voters would probably agree with him about the role of women in their churches. But he is not a theologian and he's not a pastor. He's a politician and to ter- and potentially turn off 50 plus percent of the voting group in the, in North Carolina is crazy. I mean, I could see an, a 30 second ad, you know, quoting him from that speech. And he was pretty mocking in that speech. If you listen to it or, or read about it, I should say, he said something like when when God needed something done, he called on David, not Davida. And so, you know, I just. I think that's really red meat for the base. But in a general election, I think uh, think it really could hurt him. Among Democrats and independents over the past few years, there was this sense of frustration during the Trump era where people said, you know, does anything matter anymore? Are there any consequences to what you say? And I think we've really seen kind of recently that there are. I mean, the president lost in 2020. And then here in North Carolina, Madison Cawthorn lost his Republican primary. And so you know, clearly, I, I think people do pay attention and the media seizes on these things again and again. And this may not affect the lieutenant governor or Republican primary. But as both of you guys said, in a general election, I, I just think there's some problems. Yeah, I think that the lieutenant governor has made a lot of these comments since he's been lieutenant governor, too. He ran two years ago uh, or in 2020 and got elected. And not that many people knew people knew that much about him. You know, his claim to fame was a kind of a speech on guns that he gave to the Greensboro City Council a few years ago, which became viral and uh, played really well with the Republican base and, and got him through a, a multi-candidate primary. But in the general election, I'm not sure that many people knew about him then, and now they know more. Yeah, it's just like Madison Cawthorn. I mean, very little was known about him in that low turnout primary. And then over the next two years or 18 months, people learn more. And it was a problem. And I, and I think one more thing with, with the lieutenant governor, you know, going back to the uh, what he said about uh, homosexuality or his words, homosexuality in the church and equating it to filth. He, I think, you know, later kind of tried to walk that back and saying he was talking about these books. Remember, there was the controversy over the book, but he didn't say that. I mean, that, those were the words he said. And when you listen to what he, you know, read what he said and you listen, he was kind of very clear. Uh, it seemed like he was talking about people themselves. He's very Trumpian in his personal style, so therefore he's very popular with the base. But even many Trump supporters have said that that Trump's pugnacious style is probably the least attractive part of him. And so I, I, I don't know how far he can go, Robinson, with this. I think a lot of Republicans might. This is a winnable race for them, this governor's race. They don't want to screw it up by putting in somebody who's a, who's a loose cannon, I think. And by 2024, the Trumpian brand may be uh, a lot worth less than it is now. You know, these hearings are going on and they may not may or may not affect uh, this fall's elections, but they're going to be part of history and they're going to be part of Trump's reputation. And that could be a factor two years from now. Uh, you asked uh, Chris Cooper whether it would be smart for um, Ted Budd to talk about guns. And, uh you know, that's kind of a, a dicey subject for of Ted Budd, who owns a gun store, after all. And he's a big Second Amendment supporter, obviously. But with Tom Tillis on the other side of the party, negotiating with Democrats, uh, some gun safety legislation, even as limited as it may be, you know, is it safe for uh, somebody like Ted Budd to support it now that 
Tom Tillis does and Mitch McConnell and who knows how many other Republican senators. You know, that's a question. It may be something he can get behind because it doesn't do much, but still it is uh, some gun, le- gun legislation. I'd like to be a fly on the wall at the Bud headquarters to see how they're watching these hearings up in D.C. and whether they have to uh, change their you know strategy one day to the next, depending on how, you know, how Trump looks to the general public, because it, the center race is a moving target. And Beasley also must be wondering, well, should I use this as an issue or not? I mean, it's just you don't know how it's, these these hearings are going to turn out or whether they're going to do any damage to Trump. Uh, lasting damage to his base and to voters in the general election and, and here in North Carolina. Well, we don't know how Sherry Beasley is going to use the former president in her campaign. We do know how Ted Budd is going to use the current president in his campaign. Yeah. You know, he's got uh, uh, he's going to hit him over inflation and, and rising gas prices and everything like that. And that may be all he needs to do, actually. Yeah. All right. Well, that wraps up another edition of Inside Politics Election 2022. I'm Steve Harrison, along with Jim Morrill and Tim Funk. Thanks so much for joining us. Inside Politics Election 2022 is a production of WFAE. (music) 